Hello and welcome to this episode of the Peace of Mind podcast brought to you by the National Centre for Mental Health. I'm Catherine Hopkins and I'm the Communications Manager at NCMH. I'm very pleased to be sitting down with Ellie and Dr Joanna Martin for this episode and today we're going to be chatting about ADHD, particularly in girls and young women, as well as non-binary young people. Joanna is the leading researcher on an ADHD project currently running at Cardiff University and funded by the Welsh Government and Ellie has joined us to share their experience of taking part in this research after being diagnosed with ADHD as an adult. Thank you both for taking some time to join me today. Um, Joanna, if it's okay, I'm going to start with you. Um, And I was hoping you could tell us a little bit about what we know about ADHD and why it is less diagnosed in girls and women. Yeah, thanks. Um, So ADHD, which is defined as attention deficit hyperactivity disorder, is really an umbrella term for different conditions related to ADHD regulation and hyperactivity and impulsivity. So You can have the combined type, which is kind of what people think of as ADHD as being characterized by difficulties in both attention as well as hyperactivity and impulsivity. But you can also have an inattentive subtype, which is characterized by most of the difficulties with attention regulation, or a hyperactive impulsive subtype, which is kind of those difficulties in that other domain. Um, And it's actually one of the most common neurodevelopmental conditions. It affects about one in 20 young people. ADHD can have an impact on symptoms in a whole range of different domains in someone's life, for example, their school or education or their work. And it can also have knock-on effects on their social relationships, whether it's with family or friends, also their self-esteem and mental and physical health. So it can have a huge range of different impacts. But what we really want to learn more about is why it's being diagnosed more in boys and men compared to girls and women. And we know from studies that have looked at clinical samples of um, children and young people that have been recruited from you know, clinics where they've been diagnosed, that about seven or eight boys get diagnosed for every girl who's diagnosed. It's a big gap. But then if we do a survey of the general population, we assess who has ADHD and who doesn't have ADHD, we find that it's about three or four boys for every girl, which makes a smaller gap. So actually that's suggesting that there are people in the population, particularly girls in the population, who aren't getting to the clinics and not getting recognized. When we look at adults, we don't see such a big gap. We actually see a gap of about two to one or one to one men for every woman who's diagnosed. So actually it's suggesting that there's this kind of delay in getting a diagnosis for young women. um, And they often only get diagnosed as adults, not as children. So they're definitely being missed when they're younger. Yes, Mm -hmm. it seems like quite a few young women get missed. So Ellie, thank you again for joining us today. I was just wondering if you could take us a little bit through your experience. Could you tell us about uh, when you first realised that you might have ADHD and how old you were at that time? Mm -hmm. Yeah, so I was diagnosed with combined type ADHD about a year and a half ago. Um, So I was 22 years old. I was right at the tail end of my degree, which was really frustrating because it meant I didn't have access to accommodations that I could have had if I'd had an earlier diagnosis. Um, I kind of came to the realisation I might have ADHD mostly through social media that was what kind of first clued me in that maybe that was something that I was dealing with was ADHD um TikTok (laughs) to be honest um but then from that I did my own research proper research Mm -hmm. and everything was just so familiar and relatable that I thought okay I really have to I mean it took me about a year to book an assessment because I procrastinated it in true, true, true ADHD fashion <laughs> I really put it off yeah. for a while but then yeah when I did um yeah got my diagnosis and yeah it was really life-changing yeah so when you first started to kind of look at 
I guess, like the kind of screening tools you can come across and things like that, it really started to click with you that it might be ADHD. Yeah, like um, the symptom checklists online, I was like, okay, this is an overwhelming amount <laughs> that, I'm, I'm, uh, that I seem to have. And I think a re- one of the reasons why it came to me so late is because I just had such a um, set idea of what ADHD was. So it didn't even occur to me prior to this that it could have been ADHD because my idea was just um, hyperactive, disruptive boys mostly. That was my idea of what ADHD looked like. Even though I'd had an AFAB friend, um, best friend in secondary school who had been diagnosed with ADHD in childhood, they presented in a much more hyperactive way. So to, to me, I didn't relate to that because a lot of my symptoms are more inattentive or internally hyperactive um and so that's why I think it took quite a long while for me yeah Yeah, there's been a lot said that kind of the the fad around ADHD on TikTok and the kind Mm. of like (laughs) you know it's almost like the commercialization of it in a way kind of like people using it to kind of get you know follows and reposts and likes and everything but actually you know for me personally I think it's really good that it's raising that awareness as long as people are then doing their own research like you said yeah um but yeah we've heard you know centrally from the college university support team and everything that lots of students are now coming forward and I know it kind of puts pressure on those services but if it means that lots of those people have been missed then I think it can only be a good thing that it's pushing people to find out more yeah definitely I mean it's how I got diagnosed so yeah yeah I was thinking of asking you about how much support you were getting in school but was that something that you kind of noticed you know, that you were different to your peers, that you, you you know, you could have done with some support in some areas, you know, whether it's around exams or whatnot. Yeah, I, I received no support um for this kind of thing in school, but it's because I felt like I was really hiding it. Um, I did definitely feel uh, very different to my peers. I felt like I was putting in twice the amount of effort and getting half the results a lot of the time. Um, But I also felt like, because I felt like, the problems were of my own making. I also felt like I had to solve them myself. So I really kept it to myself and I just found loads of workarounds and doing everything last minute. But because I got average grades and I wasn't failing and I did get everything in, I wasn't necessarily a problem yeah, student. You in, get missed yeah. In the middle. yeah, I definitely got um overlooked <laughs> as like not a problem. Um but you know, just because my grades were okay and it didn't seem like I was struggling didn't mean that I wasn't having like a lot of anxieties yeah. during this time because of it. So I think it could be quite isolating. It definitely was. Yeah, I felt really different from everyone around me, and I didn't know why. So it kind of, I kind of started believing it was my own fault, and that I was the problem. <laughs> so that's how I felt up until my di- that was why my diagnosis was such a, like a revelation to me because I was like, okay, finally I know this is not my fault. <laughs> this is just something that loads of people deal with. How did you find speaking to your friends and family about it once you'd got your diagnosis? Um, my family were really supportive. They don't necessarily understand it that much. My parents, anyway, they have been really trying to. Um, so that's been really nice. My sister um, has been really, really supportive. And she actually recently got diagnosed as well. <laughs> so so she's 26, so she had to wait a bit longer. Um, but it makes a lot of sense. But yeah, uh, family and friends have been really supportive and just trying to understand. And yeah, I feel like I've been really lucky in that regard. Have they mentioned that they've kind of seen a difference in you now that you kind of understand yourself a little bit more with the diagnosis? Yeah, I think so. I mean, I 
I used to call home a lot um, when I was in uni, just sobbing <laughs> and and like not because I didn't know what was going on with me. And I just I'd been diagnosed with depression and anxiety. I was on the medication. I was doing the therapy. Nothing seemed to be working. So um, when I got diagnosed with ADHD, I finally started understanding myself, working with myself rather than against myself. And one thing my mum mentioned is that I stopped calling home so much in, in tears. So yeah, they definitely noticed the difference. I think that's really positive. Um, so following the diagnosis, have you felt like you've had much help? I was thinking around kind of medication and online resources and things like that, but was, would also be interested to kind of hear you know, understanding yourself better, you know, kind of are you finding uh, ways of managing it and kind of understanding your own needs and patterns as well? Mm-hmm. Yeah, it was recommended to me that I go down the route of maybe trying out medication or uh, therapy or coaching. I have dabbled with the coaching a little bit and I did find that useful. I'm now in therapy, um, which is also very useful to have, um, just have a therapist who specializes in ADHD I think is really vital because I used to have a therapist who didn't really know anything about it and just ended up being not very helpful um medication is something I really want to try um at the moment there is a medication shortage (laughs) which I'm kind of definitely feeling the effects of because it means I'm not going to be able to access them for months Mm -hmm. um what I found most helpful has been connecting with other people um, going through the same thing. I've been to women's support circles. I am in online communities and support groups. That has been the most healing thing for me, I think, just to be able to talk to these other amazing people and see like myself reflected back. And then, because I've struggled with such low self-esteem for such a long time, it's so nice to like meet amazing people and realise that we are very similar in some ways. So that's been really, really nice. Yeah, it must be so nice to connect with people who, yeah, have kind of found their way with it a little bit. And so you can see mm-hmm. the kind of positive side, the positive stories of kind of people coming out the other side of it once they've, you know, had the support yeah. or come to know themselves that much better with it. Yeah, and just actually getting useful advice mm-hmm. rather yes. than just, why don't you try yeah. harder? <laughs> yeah. So, yeah, that's been, for me, that's been the most important thing. Yeah. So yeah, I was just going to move on to the research now, and I was wondering if you could tell us what you thought when you first heard about the study that was looking into ADHD and women. Uh, yeah, so I thought it was really important that more research like this is done. As someone who was late diagnosed and could have potentially been diagnosed earlier had more research like this been done, it just really hit home in a way where I was like, okay, I, I want to help out with this a little bit um, in any way that I can. Um which is through you know sharing my experiences and hoping that maybe other people could see that and relate to it and maybe realize that they have it as well and um and I was just wondering as well if you could take us through maybe a little bit about what it was like taking part uh yeah, so I mean, I do think that because I'm it's quite a recent diagnosis for me still um it's quite nice to be able to talk about myself and my experiences and, and to be asked questions about it because I kind of learn about myself as I'm talking so I, I, I kind of enjoyed that aspect of it and also it is a topic that I feel very strongly about obviously of course having been late diagnosed I just I really um 
uh, enjoyed that I could help out a little bit while being taken seriously and yeah. Yeah, people show an interest in yeah. something that you've yeah, only kind of recently been fully learning about, I guess. Is, yeah, it's quite validating yeah. as well. Yeah, amazing. <laughs> uh, so it's going to come back to you, Joanna, so you can take us a little bit more in detail around the project. Um, so would you mind telling us briefly um, about your background and how you came to work in ADHD research? Yeah, yeah. So I've, I've been interested in child development um, since, well, before I did my undergraduate degree in psychology. And I guess that really kind of solidified that interest. Um, and I was lucky enough after my degree to get a research assistant job at Cardiff University, working on a project on ADHD and particularly on the genetics of ADHD. Um, and so I became very kind of fascinated by ADHD and especially kind of the genetic background and how heritable it was. And I ended up doing my PhD at Cardiff University on the overlap between ADHD and autism in children and young people. And again, there was a bit of a focus there on the sort of shared genetics, because we know both of these conditions run in families, but they're also uh, kind of running in families together. So if you have a, a relative who has ADHD, your likelihood of having autism is um, higher and vice versa, that kind of thing. Um, so while I was doing my PhD, I became very interested in particularly why our samples had so few girls in them and why we were seeing that generally ADHD is being diagnosed so much less frequently in girls and young women. And so I started looking into this a bit more. And when I completed my PhD during my postdoctoral work, this, is, this was really my focus. And I continued to look at the genetics because ADHD is so highly heritable. It's got a heritability of over 70 to 80%, which means that there's quite a lot of genetic factors that are involved. Um, so I wanted to look at whether those genetic factors were similar in boys and girls. And really, they did seem to be quite similar. So it seemed like there wasn't an enormous kind of obvious explanation coming from the genetic side of things. So then I thought, well, probably there's some social explanations and maybe something to do with our diagnostic practices. So I kind of turned my attention to that. And that sort of formed the foundation of this project that has been funded by the Welsh government looking at ADHD in young women and girls in particular. Um, and you're currently in the middle of your project on ADHD in girls and young women. Um, can you tell us a bit more about what the research aims are? Yeah. So the overall aim is really to try to better understand what ADHD looks like in girls and young women and to increase our, well, to increase the public awareness and recognition of ADHD in this group um, and also just young people more generally. Um, and there are three specific aims to the project. First, we want to understand what the health experiences of young women who have an ADHD diagnosis are by comparing individuals who've been diagnosed in adolescence and adulthood to those who were diagnosed earlier on in life, so in childhood. And we're using existing information from healthcare records to look at this sort of information. The second aim is to understand why young women are experiencing this delay in recognition of their ADHD in the first place, what kind of factors are involved, and again, here we're using existing information from population samples and cohort samples available in the UK and in other countries. And the third aim is to create a new assessment tool that is sort of more gender inclusive uh, to assess ADHD behaviors that are more common in girls and young women, but also just capturing this broader diversity of behaviors related to ADHD. So as I mentioned for the first teams, we're using existing information, but for this third aim, um, we're speaking to various expert groups about what ADHD looks like in girls, particularly focusing on primary school. And so these groups include young adults with the experiences of ADHD, parents and carers of girls who have ADHD, 
and also various professionals who are in the education and healthcare sectors. And what's the response been like for the recruitment to your study? Yeah, it's been really good, actually. Um, we've had a huge amount of interest, particularly from young adults. Uh, in fact, we had so much interest that we had to close our recruitment within two days of opening it. We had more people sign up than we had space for. And we, even after closing the recruitment, we've continued to get emails from interested people. So that's really great that there's so much interest to take part in research and to try and um, you know, help us to learn more about this important topic. We also had quite a lot of interest from parents and carers. So we've now actually finished our interviews with young adults and the focus groups with parents and carers. Uh, we're still just doing the last couple of focus groups with the professionals. And particularly, we're looking for more educational professionals, so teachers, SEMCOs, learning support assistants, to take part. Perhaps we'll share the details for how people can get in touch with you. Brilliant. Thank <laughs> yeah. You. Um, and can, can you tell us a bit about how the project came to be? Um, it's really positive to hear about the study being open to non-binary and transgender young people. Um, so just wondering as well if you, it was important to you and the team that the research was inclusive? Yeah, definitely. So the, the starting point of the project was addressing the fact that so much of the research that we have and so much of the data that's available, the information out there, has had such a big focus on ADHD and boys and young men. So we started out by refocusing on girls and women. But it's become clear that many young people don't identify as the sex they were assigned at birth or their gender identity is a bit more fluid than the binary that we tend to examine in our research. So I thought it was important to address this important area. Um, but it's quite hard to study gender, gender diversity using existing data sets because this information is just not really collected. We yeah, tend to just, collected. yeah, it's mm. not. We tend to just have like, sex assigned at birth based on people's healthcare records or, um, you know, reported by parents of the children who are taking part in the studies. So we don't tend to have this information in existing sources of data. So I thought that it would be really important when we collect our own data through qualitative interviews that we would need to be more inclusive um, to try and get a broader group of people, young people interested in the research. Um, so we advertised it in a much more inclusive way. Um, and we kept our criteria for inclusion broad. So I was pleased that we did have some non-binary young people sign up, as well as some parents of non-binary young people as well. Yeah, I think it's really positive. It kind of feels like we're kind of catching up, uh, catching up with the kind of world outside the university slightly. And it's just good to see that research is kind of moving in that direction to kind of, yeah, starting out was kind of more inclusive to begin with and this is being kind of um, thought of <laughs> as projects. Yeah. Um, and what are you hoping will be the impact of the project? Yeah, so initially I hope that the project will just help us to build an evidence base about what ADHD looks like in girls and women and young people more broadly, uh, kind of considering the sort of broader presentation, not necessarily, you know, the sort of strict criteria that were just developed in boys. Um, we also want to find out a lot of things that we really, there are just so many questions that we have that we don't have good answers to. So things like what early signs of ADHD are there in primary school age girls that we could be picking up on much earlier to make sure they don't get diagnosed so late in life. Um, we also want to know things like what happens when a diagnosis is delayed for young people. So if you don't get diagnosed as a child and only get diagnosed as an adult, what kind of consequences are there from that? Um, and we're also interested in things like the factors that young people might be using to cope with their ADHD difficulties, things like that are sort of strategies that are actually working and reducing uh, impact um, of the symptoms. So in general, I really hope that this research will help us to recognize ADHD sooner, um, particularly in young women, but also just young people more broadly, more generally, um, and individuals who would benefit from that earlier support. 
I'm going to make sure that I mention the, the, how, how to get in touch with you. Um, so yeah, just to finish off, Betty, I was going to say, um, what would you say to someone who is thinking of taking part in the research? Um, yeah, I think if you feel as strongly as I do about this kind of thing, which I think a lot of people, especially with late diagnosed ADHD, probably do, do kind of feel um, shorthanded of it. <laughs> yeah, I guess a le- kind of like a little bit left behind. Yeah, but, yeah. I think it's a really good experience. Um, not only to just be able to talk about your experiences, um, but also to feel like you're taking part in something that could help um, the next generation, I guess, of uh, women in APAP people with ADHD. And um, for me, it was like a it was a great experience because I felt like I could actually help for once. So it was it was really nice. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, making a difference. Yeah. <laughs> Perfect. Um, so as promised, I'm just going to mention that um, currently the team is still looking for educational professionals to take part in the study. So if you'd like to find out more, please visit ncmh.info forward slash ADHD. Um, and if it's okay, I'm going to bring it to a close there. So thank you so much for joining us for this episode. Thank you. Thanks.